Section 110 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Jachilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 110. All over. Comte de Lormeron had just finished dressing. He cast a parting glance at the large mirror which occupied an entire panel in his dressing room and smiled. He was really a fine-looking man still, although quite gray. Tall, slight, elegant, with no sign of a paunch, with a small mustache of doubtful shade, which might be called fair. He had a walk, a nobility, a chic, in short, that indescribable something which establishes a greater difference between two men than would millions of money. He murmured, Lormoran is still alive, and he went into the drawing room where his correspondence awaited him. On his table, where everything had its place, the work table of the gentleman who never works, there were a dozen letters lying beside three newspapers of different opinions. With a single touch he spread out all these letters, like a gambler giving the choice of a card, and he scanned the handwriting, a thing he did each morning before opening the envelopes. It was for him a moment of delightful expectancy, of inquiry and vague anxiety. What did these sealed, mysterious letters bring him? What did they contain of pleasure, of happiness, or of grief? He surveyed them with a rapid sweep of the eye, recognizing the writing, selecting them, making two or three lots, according to what he expected from them. Here, friends. There, persons to whom he was indifferent. Further on, strangers. The last kind always gave him a little uneasiness. What did they want from him? What hand had traced those curious characters, full of thoughts, promises, or threats? This day one letter in particular caught his eye. It was simple, nevertheless, without seeming to reveal anything. But he looked at it uneasily, with a sort of chill at his heart. He thought, From whom can it be? I certainly know this writing, and yet I can't identify it. He raised it to a level with his face, holding it delicately between two fingers, striving to read through the envelope, without making up his mind to open it. Then he smelled it, and snatched it up from the table, a little magnifying glass, which he used in studying all the niceties of handwriting. He suddenly felt very unnerved. Whom is it from? This hand is familiar to me, very familiar. I must have often read its tracings, yes, very often. But this must have been a long, long time ago. Whom the deuce can it be from? Pooh, it's only someone asking for money. And then he tore open the letter. He read, My dear friend, you have without doubt forgotten me, for it is now twenty-five years since we saw each other. I was young, I am old. When I bade you farewell, I left Paris in order to follow into the provinces my husband, my old husband, whom you used to call my hospital. Do you remember him? He died five years ago, and now I am returning to Paris to get my daughter married, for I have a daughter, a beautiful girl of eighteen, whom you have never seen. I informed you of her birth, but you certainly did not pay much attention to so trifling an event. You are still the handsome Lormeron, so I have been told. Well, if you still recollect little Lise, whom you used to call Lison, come and dine with her this evening, with the elderly Baron de Vance, your ever-faithful friend, who, with some emotion, although happy, reaches out to you a devoted hand, which you must clasp, but no longer kiss, my poor Jacquelette. Lise de Vance. Lormeron's heart began to throb. He remained sunk in his armchair with the letter on his knees, staring straight before him, overcome by a poignant emotion that made the tears mount up to his eyes. If he had ever loved a woman in his life, it was this one, little Lise, Lise de Vance, whom he called Ashflower, on account of the strange color of her hair and the pale gray of her eyes. Oh, what a dainty, pretty, charming creature she was, this frail baron, the wife of that gouty, pimply baron who had abruptly carried her off to the provinces, shut her up, kept her in seclusion through jealousy, jealousy of the handsome Lord Maron. Yes, he had loved her, and he believed that he too had been truly loved. She familiarly gave him the name of Jacquelette, and he would pronounce that word in a delicious fashion. A thousand forgotten memories came back to him, far off and sweet and melancholy now. One evening she had called on him on her way home from a ball, and they went for a stroll in the Bois du Boulogne, she in evening dress, he in his dressing jacket. 
It was springtime, the weather was beautiful. The fragrance from her bodice embalmed the warm air, the odor of her bodice, and perhaps too the fragrance of her skin. What a divine night! When they reached the lake, as the moon's rays fell across the branches into the water, she began to weep. A little surprised, he asked her why. I don't know. The moon and the water have affected me. Every time I see poetic things, I have a tightening at the heart, and I have to cry. He smiled, affected himself, considering her feminine emotion charming, the unaffected emotion of a poor little woman whom every sensation overwhelms, and he embraced her passionately, stammering, My little Lise, you are exquisite. What a charming love affair, short-lived and dainty. It had been and all over too quickly, cut short in the midst of its ardor by this old brood of a baron who had carried off his wife and never let anyone see her afterward. Lormoran had forgotten, in fact, at the end of two or three months. One woman drives out another so quickly in Paris when one is a bachelor. No matter, he had kept a little altar for her in his heart, for he had loved her alone. He assured himself now that this was so. He rose and said aloud, Certainly I will go and dine with her this evening. And instinctively he turned toward the mirror to inspect himself from head to foot. He reflected, She must look very old, older than I look. And he felt gratified at the thought of showing himself to her, still handsome, still fresh, of astonishing her, perhaps of filling her with emotion and making her regret those bygone days, so far, far distant. He turned his attention to the other letters. They were of no importance. The whole day he kept thinking of this ghost of other days. What was she like now? How strange it was to meet in this way after twenty-five years. But would he recognize her? He made his toilet with feminine coquetry, put on a white waistcoat which suited him better with the coat than a black one, sent for the hairdresser to give him a finishing touch with the curling iron, for he had preserved his hair, and started very early in order to show his eagerness to see her. The first thing he saw in entering a pretty drawing-room newly furnished was his own portrait, an old faded photograph, dating from the days when he was a beau, hanging on the wall in an antique silk frame. He sat down and waited. A door opened behind him. He rose up abruptly, and, turning round, beheld an old woman with white hair, who extended both hands toward him. He seized them, kissed them one after the other several times. Then, lifting up his head, he gazed at the woman he had loved. Yes, it was an old lady, an old lady whom he did not recognize, and who, while she smiled, seemed ready to weep. He could not abstain from murmuring, Is it you, Lise? She replied, Yes, it is I, it is I indeed. You would not have known me, would you? I have had so much sorrow, so much sorrow. Sorrow has consumed my life. Look at me now, or rather don't look at me, but how handsome you have kept, and young. If I had by chance met you in the street, I would have exclaimed, Jacquelette! Now, sit down and let us, first of all, have a chat, and then I will call my daughter, my grown-up daughter. You'll see how she resembles me, or rather how I resembled her. No, it is not quite that. She is just like the me of former days. You shall see. But I wanted to be alone with you first. I feared that there would be some emotion on my side at the first moment. Now it is all over. It is past. Pray be seated, my friend. He sat down beside her, holding her hand, but he did not know what to say. He did not know this woman. It seemed to him that he had never seen her before. Why had he come to this house? What could he talk about? Of the long ago? What was there in common between him and her? He could no longer recall anything in presence of this grandmotherly face. He could no longer recall all the nice, tender things, so sweet, so bitter, that had come to his mind that morning when he thought of the other, of little Lise, of the dainty ash-flower. What, then, had become of her, the former one, the one he had loved? That woman of far-off dreams, the blonde with gray eyes, the young girl who used to call him Jacquelette so prettily? They remained side by side, motionless, both constrained, troubled, and profoundly ill at ease. As they talked only commonplaces, awkwardly and spasmodically and slowly, she rose and pressed the button of the bell. I am going to call Renée, she said. There was a tap at the door, then the rustle of a dress, then a young voice exclaimed, Here I am, Mama. Lormeron remained bewildered as at the sight of an apparition. He stammered, 
Good day, mademoiselle. Then turning toward the mother, Oh, it is you. In fact, it was she, she whom he had known in bygone days, the least who had vanished and come back. In her he found the woman he had won twenty-five years before. This one was even younger, fresher, more childlike. He felt a wild desire to open his arms, to clasp her to his heart again, murmuring in her ear, Good morning, Lisson. A man's servant announced, Dinner is ready, madame, and they proceeded toward the dining room. What passed at this dinner? What did they say to him, and what could he say in reply? He found himself plunged in one of those strange dreams which border on insanity. He gazed at the two women with a fixed idea in his mind, a morbid, self-contradictory idea. Which is the real one? The mother smiled again, repeating over and over, Do you remember? And it was in the bright eyes of the young girl that he found again his memories of the past. Twenty times he opened his mouth to say to her, do you remember, Lison? Forgetting this white-haired lady who was looking at him tenderly. And yet there were moments when he no longer felt sure, when he lost his head. He could see that the woman of today was not exactly the woman of long ago. The other one, the former one, had in her voice, in her glances, in her entire being, something which he did not find again. And he made prodigious efforts of mind to recall his lady love, to seize again what had escaped from her, what this resuscitated one did not possess. The baron said, You have lost your vivacity, my poor friend. He murmured, there are many other things that I have lost. But in his heart, touched with emotion, he felt his old love springing to life once more, like an awakened wild beast ready to bite him. The young girl went on chattering, and every now and then some familiar intonation, some expression of her mother's, a certain style of speaking and thinking, that resemblance of mind and manner which people acquire by living together, shook Lormeron from head to foot. All these things penetrated him, making the reopened wound of his passion bleed anew. He got away early and took a turn along the boulevard, but the image of this young girl pursued him, haunted him, quickened his heart, inflamed his blood. Apart from the two women, he now saw only one, a young one, the old one come back out of the past, and he loved her as he had loved her in bygone years. He loved her with greater ardor after an interval of twenty-five years. He went home to reflect on this strange and terrible thing and to think what he should do. But as he was passing with a wax candle in his hand before the glass, the large glass in which he had contemplated himself and admired himself before he started, he saw reflected there an elderly gray-haired man, and suddenly he recollected what he had been in olden days, in the days of little Lise. He saw himself charming and handsome as he had been when he was loved. Then, drawing the light nearer, he looked at himself more closely, as one expects a strange thing with a magnifying glass, tracing the wrinkles, discovering those frightful ravages which he had not perceived till now. And he sat down, crushed at the sight of himself, at the sight of his lamentable image, murmuring, All over, Lormeron. End of section 110. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.